Hey, Emily. Hello, Greg. So the Hockey Hall of Fame inductions were this week, and I was in Toronto. I was on the red carpet. Uh, best red carpet moment by far, Mary Lemieux showing up. Uh, an absolute rock star. I've seen Wayne Gretzky scrums on the red carpet. Nothing compares. It was like seeing a unicorn. It was like people kind of standing by that were working on TV crews and holding their phones up to get a picture of Mario as he walked by. Absolute Did rock star. Did they ask him who he was wearing? <laughs> no one said that. It's not a traditional red carpet. But mm. I got to say that, like, from a, 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 an entertainment perspective, it was kind of boring. Uh, there were a few speeches that were rambling. Uh, it was whatever it was. Um, it, I'll, I'll put it this way. It made me yearn for 45 minutes of Gary Bettman droning on, which is saying something. But Haley Wickenheiser's speech was incredible. Not only inspirational to talk about her life as a young player, talking about how wonderful it is that her nieces can play hockey, walk into any rink in Canada with a bag and a stick, not have to cut their hair short to fit in with the boys like she did, which was an incredible anecdote, but also reaching out and rectifying one of the great misjustices, injustices, sure, of the Hockey Hall of Fame, which was Vaclav Nedimansky, Hockey Hall of Famer from Czechoslovakia, Big Ned as they called him, gave a wonderful English challenge speech, forgot to thank his wife, and Haley Wickenheiser, leader that she is, begrudgingly I say that as an American, invites Big Ned back on stage to say thank you to his wife and then, you know, prattle on for another 10 minutes, but mostly to say thank you to his wife. And I thought that was a beautiful moment at the Hockey Hall of Fame. That is a beautiful moment. And I know Haley took the show with her speech, and I know it's all about them. But I just have a question for you. Are they still doing the red carpet in the basement of that shopping mall? (laughs) Well, the Hockey Hall of Fame is in the basement of the shopping mall. It's one of the more charming aspects of the Hockey Hall of Fame. You go to Cooperstown, and it's like a temple on the hill. It's like going to the Vatican. You go to the Hockey Hall of Fame... And you're like, oh, where's the Hockey Hall of Fame? Well, you go to the Cinnabon, and you make a right, and then you're at the Hockey Hall of Fame. But yeah, it's in the basement of like a like a a, a big public building, and they do the the ceremony in the middle of a of a giant hallway, and down the media sits in of the food court. They they clear out one of the pizza places in the food court, and that's where the media sits, which is great. They do give you pizza and beer, though. They do <laughs> a lot. It's great. But yeah, it's it's in the bottom of a mall. So you'd figure by that math, the Hockey Hall of Fame should be in New Jersey. But no, it's in Toronto in a different kind of mall. These two Jersey kids could only dream. Indeed. Coming up on this edition of ESPN on Ice, we're going to talk to Dan Girardi, a former NHL defenseman uh, turned uh, podcaster. Boy, between him and Don Cherry, Emily, everybody coming after our, our seat on the throne. And uh, that plus much, much more, including... Maybe the single greatest Phil Kessel of hot dogs of all time <laughs> on this edition of ESPN and Ice. So let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey, everybody. It's ESPN on Ice. It's the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter and shopping mall enthusiast. Sure are. We're going to begin by talking about 
biggest story in hockey, according to people in Toronto. <laughs> according to most of the people who cover hockey, because they all live in Toronto. It's the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, you know, we did a roundtable on the Leafs, what ails them, the future of Mike Babcock this week on ESPN. You can go back and check it out on the NHL page. And um, dire straits for the, the mighty uh, buds. Um, their last win, uh, they have one win in regulation, okay, since October 26th. That was against uh, Stanley Cup contenders, the Los Angeles Kings. <laughs> every other win that they have has been an overtime or a shootout, and everything else has been either a regulation or overtime or shootout loss. Five straight losses now for the Maple Leafs at the Blackhawks, at the Islanders. No shame in either of them with the way those teams are playing. At, uh, the Bruins at home, they can't beat the Bruins. The Penguins on the road, whatever. And then against the Golden Knights in Vegas after traveling from Pittsburgh in uh, and, and a game in which Marc-Andre Fleury did Fleury things. So it's not exactly been the easiest road for Toronto, and they do have a pretty packed schedule. I mean, November 13th, 15th, 16th, 19th across the country. But these are what they call in the business excuses, Emily. How worried should we be about a team that I might have picked to win the Stanley Cup? The Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, the one excuse that I think has some legitimacy to it is the injuries, right? Yeah. The best line last year was Tavares, Marner, and Hyman, and they've barely gotten together for a consistent amount of time. They missed Tavares in the beginning of the year, right? When he comes back, Marner comes out. Now, the stats that really jump out to me are their offensive stats. At least have allowed the first goal in a league high 18 times. They've only played 23 games. Incredible. And this is a team that is built around a dynamic offense, and they should be able to overcome that, but they haven't been able to. They're right in the middle of the pack in league scoring. We know they have defensive deficiencies because they spend all those money on the offensive players. They don't have a great defense. We know they have issues with backup goaltending. They wave Michael Hutchinson. They're going to try to find another guy, probably on the trade market. But... These are fundamental roster issues, and now we're starting to hear people call for Mike Babcock's head. And, you know, I have a couple thoughts on that because, one, if you know the people of Toronto, they've been calling for Mike Babcock's head since, like, the fifth game of last season. Like, this isn't exactly new. I don't think his personality ever really gelled with that market. Um, You know, I loved what he said the other day because it showed some fights when he's like, I'm betting on myself. Like, we need to see some fight from this team, and I really liked that. Um, but there's been some coaching decisions that guys, you know, fans have gotten on from the usage of Patrick Marlowe last year to Zaitsev to things that you can debate here or there. But the question I have is this is a team built to win a Stanley Cup right now. And if your coach's message isn't getting through, whose message will? And the obvious logical replacement is Sheldon Keith, who's in the AHL. I just don't know if that's the right call right now, because let's remember, Sheldon Keith has no NHL experience. Yes, he's worked with Kyle Dubas, the GM. Yes, he's worked with a lot of players on this team in the Marlies. But can that message all of a sudden translate on the biggest stage? And the last thing I'll say before I turn it back to you is we're now at the mark of the season. We've passed the arbitrary date where the Blues fired Mike Yo last year, and guess what? They won the Stanley <laughs> Cup. Like, who's going to do it now is now the time. Yeah, and we're also getting to that magical moment uh, called American Thanksgiving, where if you're not in a playoff spot then, you may be screwed going forward. I do like the theory that uh, if you remove Mike Babcock from the equation and promote Sheldon Keefe and they still suck— then you'll have a real good idea of what's wrong with the team. <laughs> that maybe if it's not the coach and you bring in another coach, 
and it's still messed up, then then you know there's some you know deficiencies under the hood. I am not the world's biggest Mike Babcock fan. I think his legacy has been forged through three things. A all-time goaltending performance by J.S. Jaguar in the 2003 playoffs and uh, in which he won the, the Conn Smythe in a losing effort. The ability to have Nick Lidstrom, uh, Pavel Datsuk. Be and Nick Hen- Lidstrom. <laughs> yeah, and Henrik, and Henrik Zetterberg as the backbone of that, those Red Wings teams that were good for him and then have Lidstrom there for the majority of the playoff streak that Babcock oversaw. And then obviously doing what you and I could do, which is stand behind the bench and watch the single greatest assemblage of talent in the history of hockey, Team Canada, uh, win a bunch of gold medals against Americans that don't know what they're doing. So, you know, like, I don't, I don't necessarily buy the, the Mike Babcock super genius thing. I never have. Um, so if the idea is that the Leafs have tuned them out and if you take Babcock out of the equation, Maybe they're going to listen to a different coach. I'm here for it. I think he's overrated. Um, and the way that if you see this team play, it is pretty obvious that they have absolutely no interest in following what he's saying. They're a defensive mess. There's no structure. It's a bunch of individuals all trying to save the day in their own different ways. And defensively, this team is atrocious at a time in this league when you know, look at the Islanders. Look, look at any team that's that's uh, pushing towards the top of the standings. There needs to be some level of defensive responsibility. And you look up and down the lineup at the the, the scoring chances that they give up and the uh, goal scoring uh, differentials for some of these guys. It, it's obvious that there is a systemic deficiency there uh, in this this lineup. You can't discuss the Leafs without joining one of two clans. You're either Clan Babcock or Clan Dubas. And I'm sorry. I'm Clan Dubas. I, I still think the pieces are in place. I still uh, – the, the, the Tyson Berry trade looks bad and, you know, may end up being bad. And maybe the, the question is then how do you rectify that? We talked about that this week a little bit too in, in the roundtable. But I like this team and I like the pieces that are there. And I am – I, I got to be honest with you. When I picked the Leafs to win the cup, I did it for a couple of reasons. One, because the Chicago Cubs broke the timeline many years ago, and now weird things happen in sports all the time. And the Leafs winning the cup would be as weird as they come. And two, I secretly thought they might fire Babcock this season. <laughs> you thought they would Mike Yo it? I thought, I thought that his time with that team was growing short and that when you swap out the assistant coaches and when you don't find playoff success and you start making trades and that maybe the team is still not playing up to snuff that the coach gets snuffed out. Now I will say this though in defense of Mike Babcock I don't think you can fire him until they get a good stretch with all three of those guys healthy. I think you're right. You know the idea that He's not had Tavares, Marner, and Matthews all in the lineup at the same time, but for a few games a season. As much as I would like to see Mike Babcock collecting a paycheck in the comfort of his living room, I will say it would be tremendously unfair to the man to fire him without a fully armed and operational battle station known as the Toronto Maple Leafs 
get a good run of, of games with a full lineup. So that's what I'll say about Babcock. So the question then becomes, Emily, are the Leafs salvageable? Are they still a playoff team? Should we be worried that this giant festering mess is not going to be able to catch fire and earn a playoff spot? No, and I think they can. There's plenty of time. I think it helps that teams like the Tampa Bay Lightning aren't, you know, totally getting ahead as we thought they might in the standings. Uh, I think, you know, the Florida Panthers are lurking here, but there's talent here. Um, when we get back to Babcock though, I just don't think now is the time to do it. If you were going to do it, do it in the off season, um, and start these guys off on the right foot. So I feel pretty confident that when this team is fully healthy and look, Marner's out for another three weeks, but it's, it's not like he's out super long term. We're going to see a different product. I do think though that they need to figure out this backup goaltending position because that has been such a liability. Indeed. Um, and, and boy, wouldn't it be nice if the Penguins could help him out to that end as well? All right. So that's the story from Leafs land, the center of the hockey universe. Uh, it's a black hole right now. <laughs> the, the, the sun has gone supernova. It has now collapsed. The center of the hockey universe is a black hole. And uh, if things don't turn around, there's a chance it may swallow up Mike Babcock. Um, all right. Let's talk to our guest. And now joining us on the line is Dan Girardi, the NHL defenseman who played for 13 seasons, mostly with the New York Rangers and then the Tampa Bay Lightning. Dan, thank you so much for joining me and, and Greg. And I have to say, I found out about your new venture and I was pretty surprised. You're a podcaster now. Yeah, I know. I, I kind of just fell on my plate and, um, you know, had a great time playing the last 13 years. And um, like I said, the, the PR department in Tampa approached me with this idea and I, I just kind of took it around with it. Now, you're not worried about uh, competing with Don Cherry, who is now also a podcaster? <laughs> no, no, I'm kind of, I'm not worried about that. I'm just kind of worried about, you know, making something that people enjoy listening to, whether it be in New York, where I played a long time, or Tampa here, or, you know, some friends and family back home in Canada. You know, I'm just kind of going to have some little bit, uh, have some fun with it and uh, go from there. Awesome. I wanted to uh, start with Tampa. Um, you know, last season was what it was in the first round against the Blue Jackets this season. Uh, I think there are some people around the league that are surprised that the point total isn't where they might think it should be at this point. Uh, I've been telling people that maybe a little adversity at the start is exactly what John Cooper would want for this team because they didn't experience enough of it last season. What's your diagnosis of the uh, the lightning and uh, how things have gone so far for them this season? Um, you know, I, um, I, I am staying busy, even though I'm retired. I got to do some coaching duties with my son and his team, but I am able to watch. I try to watch the games either when they're at home on TV here. Or I try to make it to a couple games at Emily uh, Arena. But, uh, you know, watch the game against St. Louis. You know, they, they actually play, play pretty well. But, you know, like, like you said, adversity and, and is might not be a bad thing for them. But this league is very, very hard to win in every night. And, you know, I think last year was just such a special year for the entire group and everything went possibly right that it could during the year, not so much in the postseason. But, um, you know, the, what they're dealing, dealing with now, it, it is a long year. It's, you know, it's a quarter way through and they're, and they're, they're not in the playoff spot. But, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone in, in the room or in the organization is, is panicked at all because, you know, what, with the group they have there and the leaders, you know, Stammer leading the way and Hetty on the back end and McDonough, um, they have the right guys to kind of get it going in the right direction. And I think they had it going there for a little bit in Sweden and uh, the first game back, um, uh, who did they play? They played, 
don't know who they played, but I was I was at the game. I don't remember. Oh, Winnipeg. There you go. They played a really good game against Winnipeg. Oh, and no, sorry, they beat up on the Rangers the first game back. <laughs> Play, played uh, played Winnipeg, and they've actually played a really good game. But Hellebuck had a a heck of a game, and you know I think they were starting to get in the right direction. And obviously, going in a tough place to play like St. Louis, defending Stanley Cup champs, and. It wasn't also a good game, but uh, you know, like I, like I mentioned, I'm sorry, I'm just rambling on here quite a bit, but oh. um, it's a, it's a very like the the fine line between winning and losing in this league in this day and age, and there's not one easy game to go into. And every game, if you don't don't come with your best and you know get a bounce or two, you, you know you're going to have going to have a hard time winning. And you mentioned on your podcast you're going to be talking to guys from the Lightning, maybe your time with the Rangers, other guys you know growing up in hockey. I'm curious, like, as journalists, we always have our white whale of an interview, someone we just want to get that interview and, and share their story. Who do you know that you know has an incredible story, they're a beauty, a great personality, um, and you'd love to get them to open up to the media because they haven't done it before? Well... I feel like I set the bar kind of high with my podcast with uh, Ryan Callahan. We're <laughs> we go back a really, really long time to our, our time in Guelph in the Ontario Hockey League. But um, you know, it's funny you want to you want to talk about things that you know people don't really know from day to day that what the guys do maybe off the ice or if we go if the boys go have a good time. You know, you got it's a fine line between what you can talk about and what you can't talk about because you don't want you don't want to make someone look dumb or you know, I have to remember, like me and Ryan are, are kind of we're done now, so we're like we could talk about anything. But you know, when you when I grab a guy like Stammer or Hetty that are my down the road live down the road for me here in Tampa, um, you know, I want to talk about some fun things, but they're still playing and they're still in the game. They can't be, you know, talking about the one time we had. You know, everyone came to my house in Niagara Falls and this happened. But you know, it's uh, it's it's fun to be able to kind of get these guys open up a little bit. There's nothing against And what happened the, in Niagara Falls? <laughs> oh, well, nothing, but it was 25 guys at my house and just having a good time. But, uh, um, you know, I, I, um, I kind of lost my train of thought here now. But, uh, um, you know, you gotta, you got to find that fine line, what to talk about, what not to talk about. And I'm hoping that – oh, that's uh, – sorry, I got what I was going to say now. That, you know, nothing against the you guys in the media. And I know I'm kind of media myself now, but <laughs> – you know, you might not be able to get something out of a guy that I might be able to get out of him just because I play with them and they kind of know me. And you know, I'm hoping that from talking to these guys a little bit off the normal hockey stuff that, you know, get a few things that the fans don't really know about these guys, maybe what they do in the summer, what they do with their family around here in Tampa. And, uh, you know, trying try to do something a little different. I'm putting it at like 15% that Hedman over went over, went, almost went over the falls in a barrel. Is that uh, a fair percentage? No. <laughs> no, we had a, we had we had a, we had a really good story. Um, it wasn't a player, uh, but it, it was just something. It wasn't even anything crazy. It was just something funny that happened. But that that's what I mean. That's gonna that's with the team, and that's gonna stay there. But um, you know, I, I, it's just that's the the funny part of the the podcasts are really growing. Kind of as I, every day, I look in the media or the in the on the my app, ESPN app or, or TSN or something like that, is always someone coming with a podcast because that's kind of everyone's driving, everyone's traveling, and that's the easiest thing to listen to is, you know, something that you're interested in. And, and, and those uh, the podcasts are really, you know, getting big bigger here. Sure. Do you listen to any ones that aren't sports, like in your like consumption of podcasts? 
Well, honestly, you're in a lot. Honestly, I don't really listen to podcasts. I barely listen to mine. I do. That's a good like thing. Listen, listen you're to the myself. perfect podcaster. Yeah, it means you're a perfect podcaster. It means you won't sound like anybody else. Yeah, well, I don't like, I, even when I played, I didn't like watching video clips of myself, especially like bad clips that made like a terrible play. <laughs> I never liked watching that. Or, you know, I, I even we recorded the first two and the guy sent them to me. And he's like, do you listen to him? I go, no. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll get to them, but I just don't like listening to myself, like talk and, you know, but when I did, it actually sounded half decent. I didn't like think like, oh my God, this sounds really dumb. You know, it sounded pretty good. And my family, obviously my family's going to say they like it. So I always have my wife and my, my parents going to say I did a great job. And feel like every player who played for Tortorella has a signature tort story. What's the one that you just like, everyone's like, what's it like playing for torts? You got your signature one. You can, you can tell the story. Um, well, man, I can, oh, I got some probably, I got some good ones, but I don't know. Like he was, he, I feel like he's such a, like a different, different style of coach. Like, every, you know, you got your hard nosed coaches, but he was like very, very hard on you. But at the same time, his one thing he always said to us was my door is always open. You know, if you have a problem with me, not even in a mean way, he's like, you want to come talk to me about something, you know, a play or just want to talk about anything. The door is always open. Then, like five minutes later, it'd be just reaming at you on the ice. Yet you're <laughs> you're terrible. Like you can't make a play. Like you know what I mean. But, like, but then, and I won't tell a story. But his thing always was when you you know say you got into a little bit with him on the ice or on the bench or like in the room. You kind of you know went back and forth a little bit. He always he'd always liked that a lot. Like he felt like now that we got that out, we're we're closer and we're stronger. A stronger bond between the two guys. Because you know, you hatch out a few things, and then you're 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 closer, and you know that was it was kind of weird to think like that, but it's true though, right? You you, you kind of go eye eye with someone or toe to toe. You're kind of like, well, this I think this is right, and then he's like, no, that's wrong, and blah blah blah. You go back and forth. Obviously, there were some swear words in there, but that wasn't <laughs> that, that nice. But you know, I feel like he did he did a great job of always being easy to talk to, even though you would not notice that by his expressions on the bench and the way he like, you know, likes to yell at guys or the ref or, you know, but he's a very easy guy to talk to. And, you know, I really, I loved him as a coach. Yeah. I, I was always, um, I always valued that season of HBO 24 uh, seven that you guys were on because like, I felt that really showed shades of torts that we didn't get to normally see. I thought, I thought he, the totality of his, of his character came out, you know, the, the guy who, who could be a nice guy behind the scenes, but also be the, the foaming dog, you know, when he needed to be, I thought that was a really, a really good glimpse at, at all of the different facets of him as a coach. No, yeah, definitely. That's pretty, yeah, pretty much summed up what I said, right? Cause like, you know, he could be like that, like that, that dog, like that ferocious dog that you, you need something, you need to get the team going. He could be that way. But, you know, if you needed another direction where maybe you need to pick a guy up or whatever, get him going a little bit, like he can kind of, he can cover all facets of the game and, you know, off the ice, he was a great, like I said, great guy to talk to. You know, you, you, I could I could watch his post game interviews every day because they're just you don't know what you're going to get what you're going to get, and that's I love that about him. You um, you were you were renowned as a defensive defenseman during during your days in the league, and I want to ask you, you know, the NHL just sent out some some numbers uh, recently about uh, the season so far at the quarter pole. We're, we're setting offensive records again. We're on another record pace. Uh, in some cases, uh, setting offensive marks going all the way back to like ninety three, ninety four. In in your thirteen years, did did you did you witness this league changing dramatically as far as the tilt towards offense, 
um, or, or was the change a little less dramatic than it than it would seem to be statistically? Well, well, well. If you if anyone that watches the highlights, you could clearly tell there is a lot more goals being scored this year, and even even last year with the Lightning team, we had you know we were scoring. I don't know our average was crazy a game. Like I think we led the league in goals for, and you know it's just it is it is it has been going that way. I really didn't notice it until. Maybe like maybe my year actually years in Tampa because all all my years in New York were very defense first oriented team, with obviously with Torres at the helm, and even when uh, La Vignol was there, um, you know very very defensive minded. But you know obviously if you have the right guys to be offensive, they they let let you do your thing. But um, you know as soon as I came here, they they do. I sounds weird. I don't think that they care about defense, but they really there's a lot of offensive guys and. They really, you know, preach that a lot, which is which is fine, and that's how. When I since I've been here, well, the last two years have been very successful teams, and um, you know, if you do have the right mix of defensive guys and offensive guys, it's a great, it's a great fit. Um, but like this year alone, you, this the scoring is insane. This like games are like seven five, six four, like just really high scoring games. When I first came in the league, there was maybe once a month you'd be in a game like that, but it seems like every night and. You know, guys like McDavid and Drysdale have like 50 points or something already. Like they're like, well, I was like 30 something, but still, like it's insane how many points these guys can get. You know, I don't think I got 30 points my first two years combined. So, um, you know, it's pretty pretty impressive the numbers these guys are putting up these days. Dan, last thing from me. You know, your tenure with the Rangers ended with you getting bought out, and I've never really talked to a player about this. I'm just curious. You know, you probably knew it was happening with conversations you had with your agent and management, but what was that like, that conversation and the days following? I can imagine your self-esteem thinking like, okay, this team doesn't think I'm worth this anymore. I'm not worth my contract. Where do I go next? And I know you signed with the Lightning two weeks later, but can you just walk us through that time uh, in your life? Yeah, well, you know, being last my last well, my last couple of years in New York before I got bought out, you know, I got the media, the media hates you if you're, you know, a guy that makes a decent amount of money. You know, you don't put up huge numbers, but you know, I always felt like I did every the little things right and like played the game the right way, and that that's just. And I have no hard feelings against the Rangers at all for the buyout. It's probably the best thing that happened to me. Kind of rejuvenated my career a little bit, and brought me to a place with sun all year round. So I can't complain about that. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, that you know, you know, you you have. I actually didn't really know it was coming for sure. You know, you hear rumblings in the media, and you know, obviously you hear everything the grapevine but um you know i'm i'm just about to go walk and pick my kid up from school it's in june i got like a five minute walk and ride in new york to our kid's school and i get a call from jeff gordon the gm he's like oh you know he you know gives me a spiel and then say we're gonna we're gonna use one of the bios on you and i was like i kind of said okay like you know whatever hung up and then like i'm walking and like then i'm like okay what now what's the next step right like i don't know I didn't even know how to process it for the first couple of days. Like, you don't know, like, okay, am I going to get another job? Like, like, or what's, what's the, what's the next step for me? But, you know, it was like a week later, we had to like, you know, figure out our house, get it on the market. Um, you know, and then with, you know, the, when that window is that teams could talk to you, the free agents, you know, you know, Tampa came right away and, and that's kind of like where I realized like, okay, well now here's the next chapter. I get ready for the next year. And I felt like, 
that was one of the best summers I've had training wise and motivation wise, just because, you know, one to prove a little, prove some people wrong, you know, knowing that I could, I, I knew I could still play for a long time. I know it was only two more years, but, um, I knew I could keep playing and, and contribute. And I feel like I did that my last two years in Tampa and, uh, I love it so much here. I'm living here this year. You know, it's a wonderful place to raise a family and, and the area and the organi- organization is great. And it was a little bit of a tough time for me, but, um, you know, I ended up uh, being a, a new chapter that came, up, came upon it. Awesome. Well, Dan, we really appreciate your time. Do you want to tell our listeners where they can find your podcast? Well, the podcast is called uh, The Block Party with Dan Girardi, a little pun on words with uh, all the shots I blocked. But, um, you know, you can find it on Spotify, you know, on iTunes, pretty much anywhere you can get a podcast. Um, you can listen to it and, you know, if you like it, uh, great. If not, sorry. I have to say about that. That's so Canadian. <laughs> oh, yeah. Siri. Thanks, Dan. Ain't no problem. Our thanks to Dan Girardi, who gave his blood, sweat, and tears for 13 years in the NHL. And you know what we've been talking about this week in the NHL? What's that? Blood and sweat and spit. <laughs> spit. It's been a nasty week, my friend Greg. And just as we started recording this podcast, we got news that Garnet Hathaway of the Washington Capitals has been suspended for three games for spitting on Eric and Branson. And before we get into this, I just have to say I have been triggered all week because in my career as a high school field hockey player, I was pretty good. My team was pretty good. I had a lot of shoving and physicality in the play, but nothing scarred me more than when we were playing, I believe it was... God, it was a Bergen County school and a girl gave me a wet willy and I was just disgusted. It was the biggest violation of my personal space. It was the nastiest thing that ever happened to me. I don't think I've ever gotten over it to this day. And so all I have to say is spit is an objectively disgusting thing. Now, if she had punched you in the face rather than that, would that have scarred you or just the wet willy? No, that's what I'm saying. Like, I had black eyes from this sport. I have, you know, rashes and burns of turf on my leg. And this is the thing that sticks with me some 10 years later. So here's the situation. And, and this just came down as we were doing the podcast. As you know, uh, Washington Capitals forward Garnet Hathaway was given a match penalty for a uh, spitting incident involving Anaheim defenseman Eric Goodbranson. He, uh, Goodbranson uh, punched him in the face and uh, Hathaway came back uh, by uh, spitting on him. And Hathaway was... Big old water spit. A huge water spit. And to, to Hathaway's credit, Hathaway's credit, he uh, came clean with the spit. He said, look at me. I did a bad thing. I shouldn't have done it. I spit on him. There wasn't any semantics. Oh, I don't know. I was, I was trying to talk to him, and a big wad of spittle came out. I wasn't a, an intentional. He, he lived up to it, and that's, that's great. And all the ducks were very upset. My God, spitting. Oh, geez. An affront to the game. Worst thing I've ever seen. How dare he spit? This is a game where people skate around for 60 minutes hitting each other in the mouth with a stick. Let's just remember that for a second. Garnet Hathaway, through the NHL's uh, VP of Hockey Operations, Colin Campbell, 
who yesterday uh, and after the GM meetings, um, you know, explained that it's a good thing that it, it wasn't a spit against an official because that would be a real, a real, you know, punishment. Still ends up giving Garnet Hathaway a three-game suspension for spitting on another player. Three-game suspension for spitting on another player. Three regular season hockey games for spitting on another player. Yeah, it's nasty, Greg. Colin Campbell was asked yesterday by Ken Campbell, no relation, of the hockey news. And and Ken kind of, you know, said it in a, in, in a, a bit of a serious way. And then Colin Coley kind of uh, played it off in a joking way. He asked him, how is a spit different than a lick? And it's kind of a ridiculous debate to have. But I guess... One that's worth having when you think about a guy running around licking people in the playoffs, not even getting a single game, not even getting a fine, I don't believe. Did he, Marchand? Did he just get no. two warnings he for He just it? got a talking to. Okay, yeah. yeah. So he gets a talking to. A player spits on another guy. He gets a three-game suspension. Now, I'm not saying that one guy scores 30 goals and the other guy's Garnet Hathaway who many people didn't even know was in the league, but that's what it is. And I it's an, I cannot comprehend how somebody gets three games in a league where guys elbow each other, punch each other, stick each other, trip each other, board each other, cripple each other, and don't get three games for it. I don't want to be that guy that compares player safety to hockey operations, but I'll be that guy. It makes this league look like a joke, an absolute joke to do this. Three games for a spit. I think the problem is that there's just too much discretion here and there's inconsistency. And this is going to bring me into the next topic, which was just as controversial, if not more controversial, in my opinion. And that's what happened with Matt Calvert in that game against the Vancouver Canucks. Do you mind if I transition to that? No, oh, I've, I've said I've said my piece. You've spit it out. I, under, I understand. I understand. Like, you know, you, I guess you have to suspend someone uh, for fear that there will be other incidents of spitting. But a, a three a three a three game suspension. And again, this is a league where context is king. This is a league where guys don't get suspended because they're like, well, he was just reacting to getting punched in the face or what have you. Right. First of all. <laughs> By the way, if there's one deficiency in player safety and and uh, and, and player uh, enforcement in this league, it's the sucker punch. God, show me show me a sucker punch that ever got three games. And you give him three games for spitting. I'm I'm sorry. Like I I hate to be the guy that's just like you know compare and contrast suspensions, but you know I did a hit on DC Radio this morning. They're like, do you think he's getting suspended? I'm like, well, usually when there's a hearing, there's probably a suspension, but it wouldn't surprise me if they just gave him a fine. Three games, three games for a loogie. Well, there you go. Well, that's I the think- benchmark. That's the benchmark. Three games for a loogie. Two, ge- two, board a guy, first time offender. Yeah, game. It's fine. You know, but the loogie, oh, make sure we get the drain the spit from this league, Emily. What I take umbrage to more is this Matt Calvert situation, though. And if you didn't watch that game, Matt Calvert blocks a shot against Elias Pettersson, and it's pretty much to his face at point-blank range. And he is on the ground, and it is clear he is withering in pain. So much so that Elias Pettersson tries to wave down the official and, like, get his attention. 
But as the NHL rulebook says, if a team, if a player goes down and the other team is in control of the puck at the time of the injury, play shall um, be stopped immediately until his team is in scoring position. I, I totally butchered that. But the point of it is, if the other guys have the puck and they've got possession, just play on. However... If in this case where there's an obvious player has sustained a serious injury, the referee and or linesman may stop play immediately. So there is opportunity for the refs to stop play immediately. Mm-hmm. And my issue here is that it was on the judgment of the refs, right? Like this is all about discretion. And the NHL came out and the general managers met when you were in Toronto and they said, you know what? We don't feel the need to change this rule because it's a whole discretion thing. It was a judgment thing. It was an error of judgment. They probably should have stopped the play, but they shouldn't. Why wouldn't they want to create a rule that better is the health and safety of the game when they have an opportunity and rather to say, hey, we trust the refs who clearly had a gross injustice in this situation? That disappointed me more. Um, I was really disturbed uh, to see how this played out, to see Matt Calvert on the ice for that period of time before he was being able to tended to uh, by his trainers. And um, it, it kind of just sickened me. Yeah, it was a tough one to watch. Um Steve Walcom, the director of officiating for the NHL, had uh, a lot to say on this. I think it's clear the GMs in the league know that the refs screwed up here. Um, you know, Walcom was kind of excusing his, his guys by saying that the injury occurred, um, that uh, they maybe couldn't see it, they couldn't see the blood. It was it was it happened in a, in a weird position on the ice. I'm not surprised that there don't, there's no appetite for rewriting the rule book. Um, I just think they screwed up. Typically the rule of thumb is if you see blood, you stop the play. And honestly, I think that's a pretty good rule of thumb. Um, I, I know that in an era of player safety, we, we don't want to sit here and say that guys embellish. Um, but sometimes they do. And I know in an era of player safety, we don't want to say that all injuries aren't equal. But they're not. I mean, a guy gets hit in the ankle with a puck, it's a lot different than a guy bleeding out on the ice. Um, yes. Devils fans will remember a situation in the Stanley Cup final against the Detroit Red Wings in 1995 when the game-winning goal, I believe it was in Game 2, uh, scored by Jim Dowd, was scored after uh, Paul Coffey blocked a shot, was unable to leave the ice. Devils maintained possession, scored the game-winning goal. And that's a situation we see play out a lot in this league. And it's an injurious game and, and sometimes guys get hurt and play has got to continue. But that is obviously like light years away from what happened with Calvert and the, the avalanche should be rightfully uh, upset about it. Did you think that because of this, because the way the league usually works is that when you see, you know, an incident, uh, they tend to overreact to things and change the rule book. Um, like for example, I guess making spitting a three game suspension. W- w- did you think that they were going to rewrite the rule book on this Calvert thing? Yeah, I, I thought they could rewrite that wording for sure. And like we've seen incidents where they've totally changed rules to betterment player safety. And the one example I can think of is this year, the new rule where if your helmet comes off, you've got to exit play immediately to go get a new helmet or else your team's assessed a penalty. Like there's easy ways that we can just do this. Um, so yeah, I did think that they were going to have some kind of rewording. Uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of people did, and that's why I was sort of surprised that it didn't, nothing came out of it from the GM's meeting. But uh, they they tend to believe the rule is good. They tend to believe that you know the ref's discretion is where it should be, and uh, 
you know. I just think we should be putting the refs in the best position to succeed. Their job is hard enough as it is. Yeah. If there's not going to be an eye in the sky, something else, like, let's not leave them with these gray areas and say, like, let's leave it as a judgment call when, like you said, Stephen Walken was the one to admit they weren't in the best position to see it. Yeah. And I think there there is a general sense that if they were going to alter the rule book, it should be to a, a, a situation where if there's a scoring play happening and a guy's down on the ice, you let it happen. But if Right. Got- but you're not going to go let them start playing keep away behind the... Right. Um, I, I think, you know, and, mm-hmm. and there might be some support for that, but... Not enough from the people that actually make these decisions, apparently. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. Spit, blood, hockey. <laughs> All right. so we signed up for Greg. Okay. All right. Now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly our look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Oh. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. It's the segment each week where we take a look at the hockey media, its failings and its foibles. And uh, this week, Emily, do you have do you have your script in front of you? I do, I do. I came prepared. Great. Uh, we are going to do a little bit of uh, Greg and Emily ESPN and Ice Theater for you. As you know, Phil Kessel loves hot dogs is a reference to the uh, all time great Steve Simmons anecdote about Phil Kessel. Going down to the same hot dog vendor outside of his condo in Toronto, eating hot dogs every day. Uh, this never happened, <laughs> which is why we use it as an example for how bad the hockey media can be. Well, the godfather of soul himself, Steve Simmons, was back at it this week about Jerry York, Hockey Hall of Famer, NCAA coach from Boston College. I will be playing the role of Steve Simmons. And Emily will be playing the role of Ray Ferraro. This is about Steve Simmons' rant as Jerry York skipped the first two days of the four-day NHL, I'm sorry, Hockey Hall of Fame induction weekend to, um, let me check my notes here. Oh, yes. Do what got him into the Hall of Fame, uh, coach his team. <clears throat> remember, I'm Steve Simmons. Emily is TSN's Ray Ferraro. What an idiotic decision by Jerry York to pass on the day's festivities at the Hockey Hall of Fame so he could just, I don't know, coach yet another U.S. college game. That's my view. You can disagree. I do. He will have that moment on Monday. Maybe coaching the players is more important to him than standing on a carpet pregame and the other quieter ceremonies. Who's to say what's more important to someone? Calling it idiotic was wrong. Well, I would change the word idiotic for disrespectful, I suppose. It is Hockey Hall of Fame weekend. If Jerry York doesn't want to take part in the numerous events prior to Monday night, he should have declined the honor. Would you have missed out on all of that on Cami Granado's big weekend? Nope. She's my wife. I was so proud of her and always am. But if she chose to go Monday only because of a commitment she felt strongly about, I would have been proud and support her too. So you're comparing my feelings to my wife as to yours to Jerry York? That's a little rich. And scene. I think that one speaks for itself, Greg. Boy, does it. (laughs) Now it's time for Puck Headlines. Dateline Long Island. As we do the podcast, the New York Islanders have a 15-game point streak going on. How is this happening? 
uh, Barry Trotz being disrespected, goaltending looking good, and yeah, all that. But I have to say, I'm in charge of power rankings this week, and we get to see the voters and what they do. And if they're at number one, I'm going to have to make an executive decision to put them at number one. They're the best team in hockey right now. Damn. Now, in full disclosure, I had I had the Capitals at number one. Mm. Um, and I, I feel pretty. I, I had the Islanders at number two, the Capitals number one. I feel I would if you drop the gavel. And make the Islanders number one, I would have no problem with it. I think they're cool. like one and one A at this point. Um, the real interesting thing for me about the Islanders, beyond the fact that they are, you know, doing some amazing bend but don't break defense and and do it, and, and, and that Mitch Corn is again working wonders. The balance scoring. I mean, right now they've got uh, seven guys with ten or more points. Um, they're getting scoring throughout the lineup. Obviously, Barzell. Uh, and Brock Nelson with 17 apiece, but the resurgence of Derek Broussard, 15 points in 19 games for a guy that was uh, bouncing around like a super happy fun ball in this league for the last couple of years, and lo and behold, he finds a home with the Islanders, a, a classic Lou Lamarillo reclamation project, and uh, another one of those great stories for a team that really is uh, one of the best stories in the league right now, to the point where Islanders fans, are, I, I've already seen Islanders fans in my Twitter feed game planning what trade deadline acquisitions they can possibly go for to bolster their uh, case for a Stanley Cup. So there you go. Maybe maybe uh, Tavares is available. Uh, Dateline Ottawa. Sad news from the Senators. Bobby Ryan will be away from the team while taking part in the NHL NHLPA player assistance program. So Bobby Ryan getting some help for himself away from the team. Uh, Ryan, of course, is a is a, a tragic story on, on many fronts. Had a, a Horrific childhood. You can um, look that up for yourself. Uh, the details there. There too many to go into at this point on the show. Um, but also, you know, life has been a bit different for him since he came to the Ottawa Senators via trade in 2013 from the Ducks, signed that seven-year, fifty million dollar contract in 2014, and has been in a steady statistic decline uh, through many of those uh, years. One point in the last twelve games. Uh, Coach DJ Smith told reporters that Ryan wasn't feeling well when he wasn't at practice on Monday and now is in the player assistance program. Now, you, you frame this as sad news, and it is, but when I read this, my first thought was good for him. And oh, you yeah. can say what you want about the NHL and their commitment to player safety, but one of the best things I think the NHL and NHLPA have is this joint program where players can go anonymously, get world-class treatment and you know the only reason we're finding out about this is that it's happening in the middle of the season and the reporters are going to notice that Bro- uh, R- Bobby Ryan's not around every day mm-hmm. but it's anonymous and he really doesn't have to give details to his teammates to his team it won't affect him financially or at least it shouldn't and you know what I think that's really progressive and I think it's amazing and good for him for taking the courage to take that step and say hey I need to get away for some time that's a great point Dateline Seattle GM Ronnie Franchise Ron Francis said <laughs> during the Hall of Fame weekend that we we're probably getting a team name in the early part of next year. Smells like the All Star Game for, break for me around that around that time maybe when all of the hockey is assembled in one place and you can drop the name there. Why well, no? It's not. You don't think so? As I reported in my column this week, uh, I talked to them and they said, no, they're not going to send a contingent there to announce it while everyone's there. They just said first quarter of the NH of 2020. Um, I don't, I think it's silly that they wouldn't announce it there when all the assembled media is there, but, um, they're waiting their time to do it right and on their terms and when they can get the logo right. It makes sense because you'd figure that they would do it 
in a in their own thing, like what Vegas did. Like Vegas had that big <laughs> unveiling. Batman right. was there, and they they announced the team name and the colors. So you imagine Seattle if they're following the same blueprint, would probably do it then. Right. And I think for them, it's more important to own it in their market than own it in the NHL community. Right. So two questions. Um, but yeah, no, that's what the team spokeswoman told me. Two questions, Emily. Mm-hmm. First of all, um, what's the team name? <laughs> Sock eyes. You think so? You think it's a clubhouse yeah, leader right and, now? And. Even more discouraging, the team colors, I believe, will be red and black. Red and black, we know. Yuck. We, we've, we've both reported red and black for a while. It seems like that's been that way for a bit. I had somebody tell me, like, over a year ago, it was going to be red and black. Now, are you saying sock eyes because your spidey sense is telling you sock eyes or because your reporter's nose is telling you sock eyes? Um, a little bit of both. Honestly, the one that I, I feel like I never mentioned this publicly, but when Gary Bettman was at the um, Chicago for the Player Medias Tour, I had a chance to sit with, down with him. and I was talking to him about the name and stuff. And I asked about Metropolitans, which obviously has been one of the front runners. And he was like very against it. He's like, that's one of our division names. No. So it sounds like the league would not want to rename one of their divisions. <laughs> If this team wanted that name. And I don't know if they necessarily want the name. That's obviously the historical one that pays homage to the Seattle hockey history. But mm-hmm. I'm ruling that one out. Well, now I wish. Because remember, the league gets final say. They got to approve it. That's very true. And now I wish that the Seattle franchise was called the Atlantic Metropolitan Central Pacific. So we can go back to the proper division names. Um, the uh, Yeah. So- Sockeyes, I'm a supporter of. I think that's an awesome sort of double entendre name. Like, you punch a guy in the face, you sock his eye, sock eye fish, the whole thing. Um, I'm fine with sock eyes. I'm a little bummed that the more adventurous color schemes that were bandied about, including, like, light blue and pink, for example, are not going to be in, in, in part of the equation at all. Red and black is so boring. To, qu- to quote the great NHL philosopher, Evgeny Kuznetsov, there needs to be more light color in the league. There's just too much dark. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, exactly. I'll bite my tongue on the joke I was going to make. Dateline Hockey Hall of Fame. Next year sees Jerome McGinley and Marion Hosa eligible. What are our early predictions for the class of 2020, Emily? I do think Arizona Coyotes legend Marion Hosa gets in. <laughs> um, and he will wear his Kachina jersey as he's worn so proudly for that <laughs> franchise. That's right. After uh, Following the footsteps of Chris Pronger, pr- uh, proud yeah. uh, Coyote when he got into the Hall of Fame. Do you yeah, think his no, first ballot, again, though? Look, Do you think his first ballot, Hosa? He's, yeah, I mean, I know that the the only reason I don't think he would be, um, and look, I'm not privy to any of this voting, is um, the fact that it's kind of confusing if he's eligible this year or not because he's still an active player. They, and, they decided and his last he, date played. They decided he is eligible. That was okay. some news that broke around the Hall of Fame. So he's he's eligible next season. Again, was a lock. Like he's first ballot all day. Um, Daniel Affleckson is a guy that didn't get in the last round. Like, I don't know why he's not in. That's a really interesting one. Like, Hosa and Alfredson were both, you know, star wingers for the Senators. Um, Alfie played his whole career there. Hosa bounced around. It'd be really interesting. I don't, I mean, I, it's, I think it, it would speak volumes about Alfredson standing with the selection committee if Hosa got in before he did. Um, yeah. But it's, it's quite possible it'll happen. I, I, having asked around, I'd be shocked if McGillian didn't get in next year yeah finally um deserves it and you know they, they just put in a guy who was the embodiment of uh 
you know, defecting from your country and, and coming to North America and the whole thing. And McGillney is the first Soviet to do it. I think it's a fantastic story to highlight in the Hall of Fame. So hopefully he gets in too. Finally, Dateline Grammys. Oh. Emily T. Swift, Taylor Swift, only received three nominations for Lover, including only one in a major category, Lover for Song of the Year. Also, Lizzo is up for Best New Artist despite Truth Hurts dropping in 2017. <laughs> but that's besides the point. The Best New Artist category is always a joke. Have you listened to Lover and are you shocked that it didn't get more love from the Grammys? Yeah, I don't think it's that good. Oh, no. Hot take. Is that a hot take? Do you think it's possible that the two singles that she put out, which were both pretty bad, uh, turned people off to the album without them actually hearing it? Yeah, I have this issue with Taylor all the time. I feel like the first single she puts out is not only necessarily not not her best single, but like Mm -hmm. one of the objectively more mediocre ones, typically. Right. Like I think she's really someone is giving her bad advice of what single to drop first. Mm. It's probably her. It seems that she's making that call. But listen. Yeah. Lover's a great song. Makes me think of every high school dance. And uh, the best song of the album, in my opinion, is the one she did with St. Vincent, uh, uh, Cruel Summer, which should have been... Yeah, the, I like that one. Should have been the second single um, instead of that whatever the hell anthem thing that she did for the second single. I forget what what, what it was. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a good album. Deserve more love. But Lizzo's been dropping stuff since like 2016. Ryan, do we have a rant? You know, I, I gave out the phone number before on Twitter, and someone said that they called it, and a man answered. Is it possible that the rant line's been reassigned, Ryan? Well, we have gotten rants this year, so I don't know why that would be. But do you think uh, the rants that we got were from the dude, from that dude? Just one guy. <laughs> they all did sound like the same voice. Now that I think so about you it, think it's like some guy here in the office in Bristol that is like Just leaving, with us? leaving his own voicemails pretending to be different. He could have typed in the name wrong, the number. It's possible, but yeah, I had someone on Twitter say that they thought that the rant line was going to some guy's desk and then like shamed me for overwhelming. Like this guy's just at his desk, like uh, newsroom. Yeah. I want to talk about Mike Babcock and like, Oh God, we'll, we'll find out what's going on with the rant line, but there's no rants this week. So I guess that's the show. My, Hey, the rant line was me talking about spitting. There you go. That's all you need to know. Um, and you should see this microphone. I honored my spitting rant by spitting all over it. Uh, I'm Greg Wyshynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Wyshynski, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I. You find my stuff on ESPN.com. The wish list is my column that drops on Thursdays. And uh, I have another uh, podcast where I say naughty things uh, called Puck Soup. You should hear a spit take on that one. <laughs> uh, I'm Emily Kaplan at Emily M. Kaplan on Twitter, ESPN.com. And all I got to say is bye. Bye. <laughs> This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.